Let me pray for us, and then we will get started this morning. God, we come, we humble ourselves um, under Your mighty Word. We pray that Your Word would um, bring us both security and sanctification. So I pray as I preach and teach Your uh, inerrant, infallible, authoritative Word, uh, that You would use it powerfully in our lives this morning. So lead us and guide us. We pray this in Christ's holy and mighty name. Amen. If you've been with us, you know we've been in the book of Genesis for the last several months. Uh, we would have been in Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 10 through 20 this morning. I'd been preparing all week for that. But as events here with the coronavirus began to grow and change, I did not want to be ignorant and just continue to go with my plan uh, that I felt like God had laid on my heart months and months ago with uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. Uh, I began to pray probably Thursday and just felt like the Lord was saying, don't preach that message. Well, what the Lord didn't do is reveal what message to preach, uh, which is very anxious as a as a preacher pastor. It's, um, for me, I, I try to plan and plan uh, to get my head and heart wrapped around God's word. Um, I'll let you in on a secret. Uh, God did not reveal that to me till about 730 last night. Um, and so uh, I look at my notes and it's with much fear and trembling. I think that's what the Apostle Paul says in First Corinthians. I come this morning with much fear and trembling as I preach the word uh, because I don't ever uh, take that little bit of time to prepare. So I am asking that God would uh, be gracious and kind to me and then also to you. Um, but in light of what is happening um, over the last several weeks. So several weeks ago, we had the tornado. Uh, remember, we woke up and we went to bed that night not knowing uh, the tornado would strike. It sh- struck here in Nashville and dealt a mighty blow and let people around us in panic. And then as this coronavirus has began to, to grow and spread and spread and get to a place that is both uh, out of control and a place of chaos, uh, I went to the grocery store at Publix the other day and I'm like, man, I have a question to ask. I don't understand what toilet paper and Corona have to do with each other, but we don't even have toilet paper. And that whole toilet section, the whole paper product is, is wiped out. And I, I just began to sit there and watch people argue about getting groceries. And I, I just was baffled by it. And just the chaos in it. Over the last 72 hours, over the last really four or five days, all major sports have been canceled. Like, I love ESPN, but I'm tired of watching old uh, basketball games that I've already seen before. I'm like, man, go to ESPN.com. It's like there's no uh, sports news. You turn on the news, all you hear about is the coronavirus. And so I just began to ponder and think, God, what would you have for us? And what, what does this mean for us? And I think I believe this so often in my head, but don't often believe this in my heart, and this may be true for you. I believe that God is sovereign and in control of all things. The sovereignty of God means this, that He has all power over everything. And so I just began to look through Scripture about that. The sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. 
So I just came back to this place that the coronavirus is under the sovereignty of God. Like it was not uh, by happenstance or by chance that when that first man, Tennyson told me this, I hope it's accurate information. They don't ever want to take information from Tennyson as a nine-year-old, but hey, she's getting it from her school. She told me, she said, Dad, do you know where the coronavirus started? I said, no. She said, from a bat. And I was like, wow, okay. And that is true information. It started by somehow a man coming in contact with a bat, and that's how we are here today. But I just began to think and ponder about just the chaos of it all. And then I went and began to read, and there's a place in God's Word that it says, God's not a God of chaos. And so how do I marry, how do we marry those two things together? The chaos that we're in, and God is not a God of chaos. And so I just began to read, and I came across this passage in Lamentations chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Lamentations chapter 3. In your pew Bibles, that will be page 688. If you have a regular Bible, just kind of flap it open to the middle. You're going to get close to either Psalms. If you get to Psalms, just go to the left. You'll get to, to Lamentations. Excuse me, to the right, you'll get to Lamentations. But this is what it says in Lamentations chapter 3. This is where I land when it comes to both the tornado and the coronavirus and all things that seem like are chaotic. This is the sovereignty of God. It says this, Who has spoken and it came to pass? This is the sovereignty of God. God sovereignly spoke the coronavirus into existence. Now, I know that might sound crazy, but if He's not in control of all things, then He's not sovereign. Which means if He's not in control of the coronavirus, then He's not sovereign. So He spoke it into existence unless, it says this, the Lord has commanded it. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both good and evil come? God is sovereign over all things. Turn with me to for a moment to Psalm chapter 115, verse 3. I promise we'll get back to John chapter 11. You may be thinking this morning, how does any of this have to do with John chapter 11? I promise you I'll get there by the end. This is what the psalmist says about God. In Psalm chapter 115, verse 3. Our God is in heaven and He does all that He pleases. And over and over and over again, we see that God throughout the Bible is in control of all things. There's a moment right before the ten plagues come. Right before the ten plagues come, the ten plagues, are, are we probably will never and have never seen anything like that before. But He says to Moses that He's in control even of the ten plagues. Like God is in control of killing all the babies at the tenth plague. And He says this in Exodus. He says, I'm doing all this that you and the people of Egypt will know who I am. And you will see my glory. 
And so for me, when I think of this pandemic that we're in, the only thing I can think of is I don't know how God is going to do it, but I do know why God is doing it. It is for His glory. Now, I I can't wrap my brain around all that. But I have to take my brain and and not have it uh, go all these other places. I need guardrails. And the guardrails to my brain is God's Word. Because if I sit on my couch and I just think about all the chaos, you know where I'm going to go? It's what Peter says. I'm going to go straight to anxiety. When I humble myself under the mighty hand of God and I take all that to the Lord, then I say the guardrails are these two things. He says this throughout Scripture. It's for the glory of God and somehow it's for our good. Somehow this pandemic is for the glory of God and somehow this pandemic is for our good. Now I don't know how that's true. But then again, I don't know how this would be true if you would turn with me for a moment to John chapter 11. Here in John chapter 11, there's seven miracles outside of the eighth miracle, if you will, of the resurrection in John. This is the last miracle of Jesus in the book of John. But as you keep your thumb or index finger there, let's turn to John chapter 1. He's going to tell us the reason that He's going to do miracles. If you read the Gospel of John, you you will hear this word or read this word over and over again. It says that He's come to do signs. Signs and miracles are the same thing. You read throughout the Gospels, you'll see miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. I taught this on Wednesday night. Why does God do miracles? Why does Christ do miracles? It's to reveal that He is who He says He is and He's come to do what He said He came to do. And now John says it this way. The first miracle that's recorded for us in the book of John is where Jesus goes to the wedding and all the great wine has been taken and, and ran out. And so He says, hey, go fill those with water, and I'm going to turn those into wine. And it's even better wine than that was already served. And then they drink it, and they're amazed by how great the wine is. And then he says this in chapter 2, verse 11. This, the first sign, was the first of His signs that Jesus did at Canaan in Galilee. And what did He do it for? To manifest His glory. And His disciples believed. You see, God does all these things and God is going to do a miracle. I believe this to be true. There are already miracles happening because of the coronavirus. And it's for the manifestation of God's glory. And we'll see in a moment, for our good. And so we jump to this passage here in John chapter 11. A very famous chapter of the book of John. John is divided up into two parts. The earthly ministry of Christ and then his the reason He came. So 12 through the following is about the death and burial and resurrection of Christ. Beforehand is His earthly ministry. But there's this bridge moment here in chapter 11. 
In chapter 11 is his last miracle. He's ending his earthly ministry. But he ends it with a miracle. Now it's amazing to me the miracle he ends it with. It's a foreshadow of his own resurrection. He says to us in this passage, I am the resurrection and the life. So he's foreshadowing his own resurrection. Again, I could preach on this in so many ways, but this morning I want to look at one thing in particular. What did Jesus come to do this miracle for? And the way that He did it is astounding. It says this, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus. Highlight that name in your Bible. That name is uh, an important name. It's not just because it is Jesus is one of His closest friends, as we'll see in chapter 11.35. He weeps. It's the only place that we see in Scripture that He weeps for an individual. We do see that He weeps over all of Jerusalem and for the lost sheep of Israel. But this is the only place in all the Bible that it's recorded that He weeps over one person. But His name is an interesting name. It's a Hebrew name that comes from or is shortened for uh, Eleazar. Eleazar means this. God has helped, or by the help of God. And so Jesus is going to say, I'm going to help you. So there's a man, Lazarus, in Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha. You know Mary and Martha. That, that were some of Jesus' closest friends. These probably outside of His disciples, these three people, uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, were probably the closest of closest friends to Jesus. He loved them tremendously. You'll see that throughout the passage. It says over and over, how much He cared for these three individuals. It says this, but He heard about Lazarus that he had fallen ill. His sisters went and said to Him, Lord, whom You have loved has fallen ill. But Jesus heard it. He said to this, this illness does not lead to death. Now illness, we would think, oh, He's sick. Now the word illness there, if you look at it, He knew that Lazarus was dead not an illness like a cough it's an illness like he is dead over and over when you see sickness or illness in the bible you can rest assured most of the time it's about death and then he says this this illness that does not lead to death is for a purpose it's for the glory of god so that the son of god might be glorified through it and so i take that and listen to that and say god you are using something that's so chaotic death to bring yourself glory. And so for us this morning, our anxiety of what He tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5-7, we cast our anxieties onto Him because why? He cares for us. And He cares for us because of His glory and for our good. That's where He tells us again that uh, we can find it all joy, my brothers. James says, when we face trials of various kinds, knowing that the trials produce faith, and a faith that is complete. And so we can rest assured and we have joy in our trials because we know our trials are given to us by God for His glory and for our good. And so here Jesus is saying, this death is for my glory and so that you may know who I am. But then Jesus does it a weird way. Not the way I would choose to do it. Now Jesus loved Martha and, his sis and her sister and Lazarus, so He went 
when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two longer, two more days. So there's a day for them to come to Jesus to tell him that Lazarus was sick and dead. Jesus hears it. Now, if you hear someone's dying or dead, where do you go? You go as fast as you can to the person. But Jesus kicks it back and hangs out where he's at. Now, I would not choose to do that. But Jesus chose to stay exactly where you're at. And we would say it looks like he's not acting. He's not responding. He's not moving towards death. He's staying exactly where we're at. So Jesus hangs out where he is for two more days. So now three complete days have passed since Lazarus was dead. He stayed there two days longer in that place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, let us go now to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just there now seeking to stone you or to kill you. And you're going to go there again. And Jesus answered, he says, where there's 12 hours of day, we walk in the night. I'll get into that much later. Not this message, but another message. And then it says in verse 11, we'll pick up there. And after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep or our friend Lazarus is dead, but I go now to awaken him. And his disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he was talking about his rest and sleep. And Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And now look what he says. This is the key to the passage. This is the key to where we're at today. In the midst of this crisis. He said to his disciples, Lazarus is dead. And it is for your sake that I'm glad that I was not there. That sounds really cruel, does it not? Like He says, I'm glad I wasn't there when he died. And I'm glad for your sake I wasn't there when he died. Now in the midst of all this chaos that we live in here today because of this coronavirus, many people have said, where is God in all this? What is God doing in all this? Where is His activity in all this? How is God allowing this to happen? And I think if we were honest with ourselves, and it's hard to do that now, but I think fast forward, we will one day be able to say God did this for our good. And that God was glad not to show up and take care of it all like that. Though He could. Now the question is, why would God not respond when we want Him to respond? I believe it's this. It's about our faith. I believe God is not responding in this moment because we know God could eradicate this illness in a moment. Do we not believe that? Like we could, in service, turn on the news and the news say, hey, somehow, some way, all the coronavirus is off the planet. And we would, as believers, say that's Christ. That's God. God working supernaturally. But I believe that God is trying to do something in us with our faith that He hasn't come and eradicated. He's wanting us to trust Him more than He's wanting to trust ourselves. That's what He's saying 
to them in this passage. I could have showed up and I could have brought him out of, I could have made sure he didn't even die to begin with. He could have spoken a word three days journey away. Jesus doesn't have to be at the tomb to raise Lazarus. Jesus doesn't have to be next to Lazarus to say he's healed. He could have in that moment when the sisters came and said to him, hey Jesus, our brother is dying and is dead. Jesus could have said, no he's not. We see that throughout the Gospels. There are other moments that Jesus speaks and a journey away, that person comes to life in the moment. We see that with the centurion's daughter. We see that over and over again. So what is God trying to do in our midst by not taking care of us when we want Him to take care of us? I believe it's due to our faith. He wants to do something in our faith. He says, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Let us go to Him. So they begin their journey another day to get to them. And now it says, and Jesus came and found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. He was definitely dead. Bethany near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. But Mary remained seated at the house. And Martha said to Jesus, how many of us have done this or said this in the midst of chaos? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Puts it on Jesus. If you had just shown up, this wouldn't have been the case. And he says to her, she says to him, But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. He answered her question about shaming him, about not showing up, and she doesn't even get it. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again at the resurrection in the last day. And Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me through though he died, yet he he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I want to know this for myself and for us as a church. In the midst of the chaos around us, do we believe who Christ says He is? Do we believe He's the resurrection and the life and it's for His glory that He does all things? You see, in that moment when He spoke back to Martha, her whole mind changed, her heart changed, and she said, yes, Lord, I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. He begins to walk with her and gets closer and closer to where Lazarus has lied at the tomb. And then all of a sudden, the other sister heard, Mary heard that Jesus was coming. She runs to Jesus, falls at His feet, says the same thing. If you had been here, this is uh, verse 32, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit, and he was greatly troubled. You see, the other thing I believe to be true today about Christ, in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of our weeping, in the midst of our anxiety, in the midst of all of it, I believe He looks at us, though He knows what He's going to do 
whether it's today, tomorrow, six weeks from now, six months from now. However God decides to take care of us in light of this coronavirus, I believe He is seeing us and has eyes of compassion for us. He's not sitting back saying, I got this under control, but He's still engaged with us in the moment. He has compassion for us. He is deeply moved by our trouble. And He is troubled because of our trouble. He said to them, where have you laid Him? And they said to Him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. And they said, see how much they have that He's loved Him. And then let's skip down to verse 38. And Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and had a stone laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister, said of the dead man, Lord, by this time there is an odor, for He has been there four days. And then Jesus said this, and He's saying this to us. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? He's about to do a miracle. And she still doesn't believe. She still says to Jesus, Hey, He's really dead. And so moving the stone really isn't going to matter. I just wonder for me and my own life, I wonder for you how often God is moving in our midst and we don't see the movement of God and we get discouraged. Anyone else get there? Just get discouraged. Like, I just don't see God moving. I just don't think He will move. It's too late. Like, I'm beyond the place of healing. I'm beyond the place of you fill in the blank what's going on in your life. And yet it shows us where our faith and belief is. It's more in our circumstances than it is the God who is sovereign in control of our circumstances. Wherever you're at in your life today, it isn't because you woke up this morning or last week or two weeks ago and it just happened to you. No, the, the words of God spoke whatever the chaos is in your life into existence to grow your faith so that then He could show you a miracle that He wants to perform in your life. And so often we miss it because of our lack of trust in the One who is sovereign and control of all things. I know it sounds cruel. But God is the One who ordained and orchestrated Corona, God is the one who orchestrated the tornado. God is the one who orchestrated on and on and on we go. Now what happens in that is this, that though God ordains it and orchestrates it, Satan gets a hold of it and causes us to go into mass chaos around it. We see that in the life of Job. Remember in the life of Job, Job, he's walking blamelessly before the Lord. And God says, He hands over His reign, so to speak, to Satan. He says, you can do whatever you want to do to him. But the only way Satan was able to move in the life of Job and take all of Job's family, all of Job's property, all of Job's cattle, all of Job's homes, all of Job's stuff, is because God allowed it to happen. See, without God allowing it sovereignly to happen, Satan could have no reign in Job's life. 
But God said to Satan, you can do whatever you want, just don't kill him, just don't touch him. And that's what's happening here. I believe that this is a tool that Satan has wrapped his arms around to discourage us, the people of God, from the truths of God. Like how often in my life today have I thought about Corona and what to do with Corona than I have in my life? How, God, am I going to bring you glory? My thought process is, how am I not going to get Corona? How am I going to protect the church from Corona? What am I going to do if someone in here gets Corona? Like that's where I've been the last 72 hours. And last night God convicted me and said, Todd, I'm sovereign over all things. I'm in control of all of it. Bring me honor and glory, and I promise to do what I'm going to do. Now, that's not a promise He's going to keep us from getting corona. That's just a promise He's going to take care of us and get glory out of it somehow, some way. But my mind went straight to, how do I do these things? Rather than what is God wanting to do in me and through me through these things. I want to be wise, and I want to be smart, and I want to seek wise counsel. What do we do to protect people? I don't want to be foolish in that. But I don't want all those things. And what has happened in my own life, if I'm going to confess to you, is I've been so distracted by Corona than I have by the glory of God. That's pitiful on my end. And I went back to this passage here, and it just kept reminding me of what he said. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. You see, Lazarus still had to die for God to get glory. Like God got glory through the death. Now God got glory through the resurrection as well, but He got glory through the death of Lazarus. And for us, do we believe that all this is happening to us for the glory of God? Do we believe that the the stock market is crashing for the glory of God? Do we believe that people are dying without a cure of this disease for the glory of God? And that's where we, the church, come around people that are hurting and suffering and sick, and we lend a hand to them and walk with them to point them back. I don't understand this, but I'll walk with you in it to show you the glory of God. And somehow, some way, God's glory will always lead to our good. He said that to Mary and Martha in verse 40. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Church, may we believe in the sovereignty of God so that we can see His glory. Let me pray for us this morning.